good morning. Uh, today's scripture is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 52. Verse 22. And when the time came for the according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Verse 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Finally, uh, Luke 2, verses 41 to 52. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. This is God's word. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for reading God's Word for us this morning. As you might uh, probably assume, when people agree to read God's Word, they don't know what the actual text is, and so this is a long one. Thank you, Jennifer, for your perseverance in this. I uh, want to say how grateful I am to end this year with you. As we come to a close of this new year, 
Luke is opening up a small window for us about the childhood that Jesus had. It is a window, but a small one. In two weeks, we'll be leaping forward 18 years to his adulthood. This is the window he gave to his friend, the most excellent Theophilus. This is the window he has, by God's grace, left for us. Now, I haven't lived in every country in the world, so this is just an anecdotal observation. But Singapore is the first country in which I have lived where there is actually etiquette for escalators. For those of you who are new to this country, stand on the left so that people far more kiaso than you can chase their dreams running up on the right. I've learned this in very polite ways from Singaporeans, but also because I need to run up on the right. It's just the way I am. I can't help myself. It's hard for me to sit still. Even when I'm sitting still, something in me is moving. I am aware very acutely that this is a context of very intense pressure. I mean, all my friends who come from overseas to work in this culture suddenly realize how pressurized is the work culture here in Singapore. But it is fascinating to me, even in the midst of this very pressurized, intense, high-paced culture, there are some things that Singaporeans will wait for. And I think it's important to notice what we wait for because what we wait for communicates what we value in terms of what we don't value so much. Now, this, this may be normal for you, so maybe you haven't observed it, but I have observed something in Singapore that I never see in Canada. In Canada, wakes are just for the family. We don't have everybody at a wake, and we sure don't queue up to give our respects to the dead. Singaporeans will queue to pay their respects. And of course, some of you may notice right away that this is Singapore queuing up to pay their respects to the founder of this nation, to minister, mentor, Lee Kuan Yew. Um, then there is something else I've noticed Singaporeans will queue up for. Now, for, for those of you who don't know, this is a queue form for the lottery. Is it wrong to call it a lottery? For a BTO. And you know how I find images for this? Marriage blogs. Because the wedding can wait until I get this queue. Once I'm in this queue, then I know I can plan for marriages because marriage is important, but not as important as, you know, actually owning my own flat because only foreigners rent. No way, Albert. Sorry. I just noticed some dear friends of mine from Canada in the service. Sorry. Sorry. I get distracted easy, too. So I can't wait, obviously, to notice people. Uh, there's something else that, you know, I can't talk about waiting without bringing, bringing this up. <laughs> I, I have uh, friends who are in my former church in Calgary. They're from Singapore. They came to see us, and of course they wanted to go eat. And um, I went and got my food, and my friend stood in this queue. 
that, you know, not to advertise, but ended here. But not for me, because I am not going to wait in a queue. Not because I don't value food, it's just that my bar is a lot lower than yours, apparently. Um, this, this, this apparently means, I mean, if what we wait for communicates value, then I can only assume as a non-Singaporean that Singaporeans really value type 2 diabetes. <laughs> now, I may be wrong about that, but... But so, so what we're saying when we wait in a long queue is we value this even more than our time. Or, or, or at least we are saying it is worth my time to stand in this very long queue. This morning we are going to look at this text again, this very, very long text, and we are going to see that this was a text that shows Jesus presented to those who were waiting. We will see that he was presented to the Lord, he was presented to his parents, the priests, the prophets, and yes, he was presented even to kings. And we will see how they were waiting, what they were waiting for, and how they treated and responded to this, the coming king. The first thing we will notice is there are some in this story who are simply waiting to do the right thing, the righteous thing, the thing that their religion and their religious leaders required of them. And this couple, Mary and Joseph, came on this day to do the right thing according to all that the law required of them. Now, the first thing I've got to remind you is this is not Jesus' circumcision. A, a lot of people I've heard tell this story and say, so Jesus went to the temple. His parents brought him there to be circumcised as was required on the eighth day because verse 21 says, and Jesus was circumcised. Let me be clear. No boy was ever circumcised in the temple because the temple was a holy residential palace of creator almighty God, holy beyond all measure and no human blood. No one who had been touched by human blood could enter into the holiest place on the planet. And so Mary herself had to wait 33 days, according to the law in Leviticus, before she had been purified of the blood that was shed. Why was blood considered unholy? Why specifically human blood? Because human blood pointed back to the fall. Some of you didn't know that before the fall, Adam and Eve were vegetarians. My vegetarian brother reminds me all the time. Blood was shed after the fall to cover the sin and the shame of Adam and Eve. And from that moment, no one who touched human blood could enter immediately into the presence of a holy God and so Mary waited three days. Actually, she waited longer because Jesus was circumcised, likely in their home in Nazareth. On the eighth day, he had to also wait 33 days. So by the time they brought Jesus to present him to the Lord, he was at least probably six weeks of age. This is the first window we have after his birth. And when the time had come for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. What a perfect day for us 
to look at this text as these three young couples brought their children in front of God's people in the presence of the Lord. And that Greek word present literally means to bring near, to bring close. So these parents are fully aware that we can't make our children followers of Christ, but we can bring them near. We can raise them in the shadow and the sanctuary of the Almighty. And that is what these parents were doing on this day, and this is what Joseph and Mary were doing with their son on that day, bringing him close to the Holy God, bringing him into the shelter of the Almighty. But there's several other things we can learn about this passage. First of all, we know why they came. It says, at the time of their purification, that means the time had, had lapsed when the blood had marred these two, a mother and her child. It came time for them to present themselves pure before a holy God, declared cleansed of human blood. This is why they came. They came not just to present Jesus. They came to present themselves as a family set apart for God's purpose and for God's glory. But the second thing we will notice is there was a specific thing that this was pointing to. This six weeks presentation was pointing back to the time when God showed His grace on a people that were in bondage. It was pointing back to the time in which God said, take a lamb, a perfect lamb, slaughter that lamb, put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of your house. And therefore, when the angel of death sees the blood on the doorpost of your house, your firstborn son will be saved. Every time a firstborn child came, after the necessary time of purification, they would come and redeem that child back from the Lord, pointing back to the Exodus when in His mercy He set them free the day, the night that the angel of death passed over. This is an important framing of Luke for his story that he is specifically writing for most excellent Theophilus that has been preserved for us. Remember this moment when this couple birthed a child, brought him and redeemed him back to the Lord and then there's something else we can know about this. They offered a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. What is said in the law of the Lord? Bring a lamb, a perfect lamb, a lamb without spot or blemish, unless poverty prevents you. Then a couple of doves will do. Remember what Pastor Eugene said this past Christmas service? God took the glorious, extraordinary Savior, and He wrapped it in ordinary. Not in a palace, but in a barn. This is a reminder that Jesus did not come from privilege. He was a child of the heartland. 
He was raised speaking the dialect of the heartland, Aramaic. He wasn't speaking classical Greek. He was speaking the street language of the common people. Extraordinary, wrapped in ordinary flesh, an impoverished, poor family. Then this one other statement we need to be reminded of. So we have this window where at the time of purification, they come and present a six-year-old baby named Jesus to the Lord. And then he has this other vignette, this other window, 11 years later, reminding us that not just that time, but every single year, this parent's just wanting to do right would bring their entire family along with their extended family and neighbors and they would go again to Jerusalem to celebrate what? The Passover. This is important for Luke because the Redeemer who was redeemed would then become again redeemed in that same city, Jerusalem, All of this is foreshadowing what is going to happen to this perfect Lamb of God. Um, Everything they did, they did according to the law, and then they went home. Again, just normal activity of a faithful family waiting for opportunity to do right. And notice In each one of these windows that he opens up, there is a common refrain, the refrain of God's favor. In verse 40, when he's just six weeks, then the refrain is, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the what? Favor of God was upon him. And then in verse 52, as they were going every year to celebrate the Passover, the very end, the refrain of God's favor, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. But we find something else that was happening in this window that he opens for us. There were others who were waiting. Those who were waiting not just to do right, but those who were waiting for a righteous Redeemer. Look with me at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, meaning waiting for the comfort or comforter of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And sometimes, particularly in the Catholic Church, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Consolation. We know Him as the Spirit who reveals God's truth. And the Spirit of God was on this old man, Simeon, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw with his own eyes the righteous Redeemer. And so he was waiting actively, not waiting passively, but waiting actively in the temple every day looking for a child who would be that righteous Redeemer. Now, if we were all Jewish, we would all likely be willing to queue for food or maybe even for a flat. But if we were Jewish, there would be only one thing in our national psyche that we would be waiting for. We would be waiting for that national hero, 
that hero of our nation who would come, that one thing we were truly waiting for is the consolation and comfort of Israel, this one mighty hero who would restore our fortunes, make us a great nation as God has promised, that is the one thing we would be waiting for. And so in verses 28 through 32, this prophet Simeon takes up Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said this, Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Now, it's hard for me to not get emotional when I read this. Because when my father was 80 years old, my brother and I took him to a cardiologist. And the cardiologist told him, Bob, you need a heart valve replacement. And if you don't get this heart valve replacement, you're going to be dead in three years. And my brother and I, with all our hearts, were hoping and waiting for our dad to say, yes, I'll wait five minutes and get that surgery. But instead, our father quoted Simeon and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Because I've seen your glory in my life and in my children's life, and this is enough. I don't know what you have in your bucket list. If fly to Iceland or ski in Whistler, you know, climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Simeon only had one thing. Let my eyes see the glory of the Lord and then my bucket will be full. There's nothing else I need wait for. Nothing else I want. Just this one thing. For my eyes have seen your salvation you have prepared it in the presence of all people. This will be a light unto people just like those who fill up GBC right now. This child will give light to the nations. You've prepared it in the presence of all people. And then he said, you will be appointed for the fall and rising of many. The fall of many who are waiting for somebody else other than Jesus and the resurrection of many who will embrace this Christ and be buried in his death so that they can be raised to walk in newness of life. This somehow, this old man knew. You know, in the American Civil War, the uh, Union soldiers would march into battle in song. They would march into battle with a battle hymn. The hymn was called John Brown's Song or sometimes John Brown's Body. And the lyrics went like this, John Brown's body lies a moldering in his grave. John Brown's body lies a moldering in his grave. He's gone to be a soldier for the army of the Lord. His soul is marching on. Glory, halle, hallelujah. Glory, halle, hallelujah. They would march into war with that hymn of their republic fighting to end slavery and form a nation. Julia Howe 
was raised by a very strict reformed father. So she was taught by her father, even in the darkest days of war, to look somehow for the sovereign hand of a redeeming God. And so after meeting with President Abraham Lincoln, she was challenged, why don't you make those words better? Why are our soldiers praising John Brown's moldering body? Make those words better. And so she borrowed the words of Simeon. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the king. He has trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And so Simeon turns to his mother and said, and your soul will be pierced by this sword. Because a mother who brought her precious firstborn near to the Lord had no idea that the Lord would use that boy to redeem nations. There was someone else in that temple that day, an elderly woman named Anna, who was married just seven years to her husband and then was a widow for decades. She was waiting, but not passively. Scripture says every day she was in the temple praying and pleading the sovereign God of nations, send your Redeemer. She was fasting. Sherry and I were reading this passage together this week and suddenly we felt such discouragement because we ask God for something and then we wait. Anna was not passive. She pled daily for decades in the temple, oh God, have mercy on your people. She put aside queuing for food while she cried out to God. She didn't wait for anything else while she was knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. And so when she saw the child, she took him in her arms and gave thanks to God and began to speak to the Savior and to all who were waiting about what? About the Redeemer. Redemption has come. You know, Chinese have a word for men like Simeon and women like Anna. The word is Xianjir, prophet. Literally, it means first to know. Those whom God gives faith are the first to know. Those who the first to know are the first to see. And those who see cannot help proclaiming, I have seen the glory of the Lord. The light of nations has shone in my heart. But there was another group who were waiting, not realizing they were actually waiting for disappointment 
Some of us have seen this in our children this Christmas even, because for a week or maybe more they were looking at that wrapped package, imagining all the glorious things that were inside that wrapped package, and then when that package was unwrapped, not a PlayStation. You're going to hear me say this often. This is why growing in Christ can sometimes be painful because the initial joy of the coming king suddenly wears down when a layer of wrapping comes off and we begin to realize who he truly is. And this happened on that day when he was 12 years old and brought into the temple for his 12th Passover celebration. The feast ended. They were returning home, but Jesus wasn't with him. His parents didn't know it. Now that might seem strange to you. It doesn't to Sherry or I because we used to be missionaries. Every four years we'd go back to our home and we'd report to the churches what God was doing. We'd take all three boys with us and twice we left our youngest son at a church, happily driving away. Assuming by the level of noise in the car that everybody was there, it happened to us twice. It only happened to Mary and Joseph once. But, but, but to, in my defense, I did figure it out within the hour. Mary and Joseph, three days. <laughs> and, and, and why three days? Because they were traveling as an extended family. They were traveling with their village, Nazareth, to go celebrate this festival of Passover. And not only that, but in Jewish tradition... A child is not even spiritually capable of understanding the deep mysteries of God until they're 13. They just assume little Jesus is out playing with his cousins. That's what you assume of children, right? They can't understand the deep mysteries of God. They would never have in a million years, but they did in three days, realize that Jesus wasn't with them, but sitting in the temple surrounded by the great religious minds of his day. His teachers were amazed, verse 46. His parents were astonished, verse 47. But none of them stayed that way. Because immediately Mary made it about the parents. How could you do this to us? Now I feel bad because I've said that multiple times to our boys. Parenting is all about us after all. No, it's not. But, but we, we take it that way. Our children are extension of us. When they embarrass us, like spending three days bothering old religious teachers with your questions and daring to tell them some wisdom, that's shameful. How could you do this to us? And the, and the Pharisees, the religious teachers, they didn't stay amazed. When the wrapping came off, they were amazed no longer. They just wanted to kill him. Why? Because... When the wrapping comes off and we begin to realize who this coming king is, we cannot, any of us, remain as we are. The priests could not remain the Lord's teachers. Joseph could not remain Jesus' father. 
Which is why it was so piercing for Jesus to say, why are you confused? Don't you know I need to be in my father's house, which was Jerusalem, not Nazareth? This is why growing in Christ is stretching. It's challenging. Because when we see him as he is, we cannot remain as we are. And finally, very quickly, let's just be honest. There are some who are not even waiting. Not anxious for a coming king. When you're a current king, you're not anxious to meet a coming king. And Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18 tells us the response of Herod when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men. He became furious, not astonished, not amazed, but he sent his soldiers to kill all male children in Bethlehem and in that region, according to his calculation, just to make sure every child two years and under, slaughter that boy, because a current king never wants to share his throne with a coming king. I think this image by a relatively unknown French painter, painter Léon Cognier, most fully depicts the anxiety the sheer terror, the panic that exists in a world cluttered with current kings, full of current queens, not anxious to get off their throne. It ruins relationships. It destroys community. We run barefooted, trying to protect our children, keep them quiet and unnoticed. Because yes, right now, we live in a world like this, a world full of Herods. In fact, there may be Herods sitting in this building right now. Herod was a religious man. That's why he invited the wise men into his palace. Religious men want to tell other people how to live. They don't want to live different themselves. So we live with this constant cacophony of noise telling us what we should queue up for, telling us to wait in line for food that will never satisfy, to invest in things that are even now in the process of rust and corruption. The coming king came. He made the difference in everything and in every way. He came so that we might come home to God. As a pastor, I know this. But look what I was looking at in my second office this week. Christ changes everything. Oh, uh, sorry, it's Angus Beef. I, I thought it was Jesus. Angus Beef changes everything, come home to McDonald's. How, how often do you find yourself 
coming to the wrong home daily, weekly, queuing up for the wrong thing, and then wondering, why do I remain so dissatisfied? Is it because I began to unwrap this king, this gift of Christmas, and then went, whoa, um, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. I'm not sure I'm ready for all of the changes that his lordship demands. Is it possible that I'm so comfortable stumbling toward my grave that life seems uncomfortable? I want to bring us to this reflection question this morning as we prepare to depart from this place. What am I really waiting for? What am I longing for? And, and what am I going to do with this king? What am I going to do with Jesus? If, if you're the kind of person who loves being the king of your castle, Perhaps you're willing to wait for a bowl of laksa, but waiting for a king. He will not sit on a crowded thorn. I have to rise up from my throne and die to my secret ambition to be awesome. I need to turn away from the blood of the fall my ambition to be the God who made me. And suddenly in my weakness, realize I need to come home, not to McDonald's, not to a noodle story, but to the king of creation, the lover of my soul, the one who endured generations of religious people trying to earn some holy goodness. And yet the one who loved me and you and the nations so much that he gave his only son to live a perfect life and then allow him to be my sin so that I, so that you could be the righteousness of God. Will you take a moment and bow with me in this holy moment? As you consider your life as it is, I wonder if you found yourself in this gospel narrative. Are you just trying to do the right thing? Are you satisfying the religious obligations that you were raised with or that you have embraced? Then bless you. You're doing well. But God desires more for you. 
Perhaps you're like those religious leaders. I'm going to say this. Perhaps you're like me, who every day gets on his knees and tells God what he should be doing. God, have mercy on this religious teacher. Perhaps you're like those parents carefully cultivating the life of Jesus. And, and then he began to grow glorious, uncomfortably so, asking of you what you cannot do, allowing you to endure difficulty and sorrow so that you might learn greater dependence on His grace and mercy. Or would you be like Anna? Would you be like Simeon? And say, oh Lord, let these eyes see the glory of your salvation. Let these eyes know that you are active in your world as a light to men and women just like us. And then, if you would be willing, pray in your heart this heartfelt prayer. Oh, sovereign God, Lord of nations, I have gone my own way, filled up the broken throne of my life, but now I need to come home. I come home to you. Not by my own efforts, but through my Redeemer King I come, the glorious only begotten. I come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we remain seated, as we respond in prayer, Our days are days that God has numbered and while we were made to walk with Him, we continue to look 